Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. It's the end of yet another hectic term, and the sound of jingle bells has been ringing out for the past few weeks. Although, with wider events affecting us all, the sound is becoming a tad muted as we head into 2022. But there is good news on the horizon. Here at Data Busters HQ, we're looking forward to the publication of our new book, Data Proof Your School, due in January, and we can't wait to share it with you in the new year. This month, we're looking forward to inviting our second guest this series onto the podcast as Tom Richmond, director of the EDSK think tank, joins us to discuss Making Progress, EDSK's latest report on the future of assessment and accountability in primary schools. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me, as always, is Jamie Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator, and all-round data guru. Hi, Jamie. How are you today? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm still at home. Um, although, well, I think we mentioned this last time, I have been out and about a bit. I know. So I have actually been to some uh, live in-person things, and I've spoken to some live in-person type people. But I wonder if that's going to be continuing. Exactly. Because I've had the same experience, although I've had a couple of things in school, which has been really good to meet people and uh, spend some time, obviously being very secure within doing that. Um, But yes, a number of things have now moved back online. And it looks like even more things may be moving back online, potentially yeah, schools as well, because obviously one of the things that's clearly affecting schools is uh, is this new wave and the Omicron and so on. And the fact that uh, that now secondaries have been told that they don't need to go back immediately after the after Christmas. There's some um, flexibility for testing. And we believe that Ofsted have said that they're not intending to be back in. Yeah, it's a bit bit fuzzy, this. Um, so I think we originally thought that maybe Ofsted would just postpone uh, inspections, but that doesn't look like it's the case. Uh, although it, it sounds like for, from, yeah, so someone, someone just telling me on, on Twitter that uh, they are um, pausing inspections in secondary for the first week, I think. Um, and there are no inspections happening, uh, have happened this week, I don't think. Um, so the first week of January, just to allow schools to, sort of testing out but it does sound like at the moment the plan is for Ofsted to continue its its march um, yes well to inspect it, schools although again there's also that strange feeling at the moment that so many things are being changed you know certainly I, I've um, had to cancel or postpone things that lots of people have um, and mm. there's a, a strange drumbeat in the background to say that maybe we won't all be back in school at the beginning of um, January maybe we'll be going online for a bit Maybe the idea that we were not going to have lockdowns, well, events. Yeah, I I think that's probably the last thing that the government want to do for obvious reasons. But I guess it might be forced on them. And this and we've been here before, haven't we? So we kind of know it now. Um, I certainly hope and I'm sure everyone feels this hopes that that doesn't happen. Um, Just my own personal point of view as a parent, you know, seeing my daughter day after day sat at a laptop um wasn't you know it wasn't the best experience for her obviously but um well we'll we'll see i hope it doesn't come to that but exactly i say but uh, we will see how things go hopefully we'll get back in and things will move forward yeah um i'm really looking forward to this podcast because uh, um 
we've been talking about primary assessment a, a lot, and obviously there have been various reports, various thoughts, but we've got um, a guest on today, so we're going to have a look at an in-depth report on primary assessment and accountability with our guests. So uh, should we invite him on? I think we should. So we're delighted to welcome onto the Databuster podcast um, Tom Richmond, um, Director of the EDSK um, Think Tank. Tom, it's lovely to have you. I hope you're well today. Thank you for having me. Very much appreciated. Oh, fantastic. Now, our opening question always is, um, what did your first classroom look like? My first classroom. I mean, it's going back to 2004, so it's been a little while since I was standing there. I have to admit, my first classroom. I think that what you probably noticed if you walked in there was it's quite small because I was an A-level teacher. So to me, having 15, 16 students felt like it was packed, you know, to the rafters and was absolutely spilling over, which I appreciate. You know, some other teachers may not have much sympathy with, but but yeah, it was um, just a very very small little room which I spent a very happy three years teaching in, and then somewhat foolishly decided to step into the world of politics after that. Excellent. Yeah, was there anything particular that drove you to do that? Because I know that you obviously you were taught for that time, and then thought actually there's something else I want to do. What what drove you to that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I've never studied politics in my life. It was not something I was particularly interested in, even by my sort of mid-20s. But um, I think like a lot of frontline professionals, not just in teaching, but elsewhere, when you're trying to do your job and you have these pesky government ministers doing <laughs> things and changing things and making decisions and announcements, and they have such an enormous impact on you, you know, it's all of a sudden you have to throw out those lesson plans or you have to suddenly do things differently. And I just kept thinking to myself, this can't be a very good idea. This can't be a very good system for running things. So I just made the, the rather bold uh, decision that I was going to try and work my way through the world of politics to see if I could help make, you know, help politicians make better decisions. And that took me on quite a, a journey through politics, which is still very much going. Exactly. So, and you went in, so you, and you've worked in central government, you've, you've supported people there. And, and again, always focusing on just trying to move things forward and try to, I think the question always when we've had these discussions is, you know, why are you doing things this way? Surely there must be a better way of, of doing things. Yeah, exactly. And it was the it was the research side of education that did get me particularly interested. I'd, I'd done a master's degree in child development just before I started teaching. And I really loved the. I used to teach psychology. So the whole sort of child development and psychology and, and how do we you know improve learning and teaching has always been a, a real passion, to be fair, even when I was in the classroom. So trying to bring some of that mindset to Westminster. Um, I just found was quite exciting. So I ended up working in three different think tanks even before I, I set up the EDSK think tank a few years ago. Uh, as you say, I worked in uh, as an advisor to ministers at the Department of Education, a total of six years in teaching because I foolishly went back into teaching. I didn't learn my lesson the first time, clearly. So I went back for a second stint in 2016, 2017 at a sick form college. And I just tried to bring that same you know, love of my subject, which is psychology and just, you know, real passion for trying to use research to just make things a bit better. Um, that's sort of informed all of the jobs I've had, even even since I started teaching. So, so yeah, the journey is still very much going. Excellent. And uh, EDSK, so is Education Skills. And it's really nice to hear both of those mentioned, you know, in the title of the, of the think tank. And, I, and that was important for you to actually have a think tank that looked kind of broadly at education. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I came back to after my second sit in teaching, I came back to Westminster in 2018. And uh, as I'm sure you and your listeners remember, you know, Brexit was really having quite a big suffocating effect on the whole public policy discussion. There was very little debate around how do we improve schools? What is happening in universities? How do we get good quality apprenticeships in this country? Um, and so I, I was working at two think tanks at the time in 2018. And I just didn't sense there was that that real thirst for ideas. And although Brexit, you know, still it's still rumbling on now. In terms of debate, I just feel like we start the clouds are starting to part a little bit in terms of we've got a government with a big majority. We've got an opposition party who are potentially going to start looking for a lot of ideas now over the next couple of years. I just figured now is a good time to be talking about new trying to find new solutions to some of those really difficult problems. Excellent. And again, from uh, from the data point of view, it's really good to see. So the report which you've written um uh, Making Progress, which was published in November, um, which is very much about primary um, uh, assessment and accountability, which obviously Jamie and I talk about a great deal. And it's it's fascinating mm. because whilst there have been discussions uh, in other areas, um, uh, there's a lot of big live discussion about GCSEs and, and um, post-16 education. It's really good to see that focused on, on, uh, on primary. Because uh, Jamie, as we keep saying, it's the most tested area, isn't it? I know you cover this in the report, don't you, um, Tom? But Jamie, yes. all of these things that we do in, yeah. in primary, it's extraordinary. Yeah, um, it's uh, so. So, what are we up to now? We've got uh, two statutory assessments in in foundations in in reception year. Uh, so that's the reception baseline now that has has been implemented. So that's statutory uh, and the foundation stage profile in year one. We've got phonics potentially got phonics again in year two if children don't pass it in year one. I mean, obviously this has all been shifted, and a lot of this stuff hasn't happened over the last two years. And phonics untouchable has happened, but it's been shifted into the autumn. Um, and then we've got key stage one, which is a mixture of sort of tests and teacher assessments so children are taking tests in 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 reading a mass um, and teacher assessments being made in in all subjects uh, and then uh, multiplication check in year four and then we've got tests again in in year six uh, and it, obviously there's multiple tests in in reading and in maths and in grammar punctuation and spelling so uh, it's just a, a massive amount of statutory assessment going on um, and I think that the concern is that it's of uh, sort of variable quality and, and um, not necessarily that reliable and sort of prone to uh, distortion and bias, uh, particularly. And when, well, this is noted. You can talk about this in a second, obviously, Tom, but the, the, the things like the issues with key stage one. Is it a result? Is it a baseline? Mm -hmm. Of that assessment um, bends it one way or the other, depending on whether you are, you know, an infant school and um, or, or a primary school. And I know that's something that you, you know, you do discuss in the exactly. Report. I think the, the bits in the report are really interesting because you, you've got uh, large sections on the impact on uh, of staff, particularly, but yeah. of the assessment generally on teachers and schools and pupils. How what, how did you find all of that, Tom? I mean, it's, it's something I was aware of being, you know, being involved in education research and watching education policy. You can't help but notice, you know, the big debates, particularly around you know, the last general election, where all of a sudden issues like SATs were became incredibly high profile when perhaps they hadn't been in, in previous elections. And then, of course, we've had the, the astonishing collapse of our assessment system. But I think you're absolutely right, Richard, to say that a lot of the debate around what do we do now has focused on the secondary system. It's been the huge debate, which, to be fair, EDSK has been part of around what do we do with GCSEs? Do we still need them? Do we need a baccalaureate rather than A-levels, etc.? That's where the high-profile debates are. But actually, to us, in terms of trying to get better outcomes for learners, we think we need to look just as much now 
which bits of the primary testing and accountability system are driving better outcomes, which are perhaps driving teachers and head teachers completely mad without adding an awful lot of value in the system, which tests look like they are producing valid and reliable data, and which ones look like, frankly, the data, as James said, is so distorted that it's not actually telling either parents or ministers or schools very much at all, we think now is exactly the right time to be having these conversations, particularly as the government's decided uh, somewhat controversially to bring back, you know, all the tests that were there before COVID and sort of just go mm. back to a business as usual very quickly. I think that, that that caught me a little bit by surprise, particularly with the, the ongoing disruption that we've got to schools. But but here we are. It, it, yeah. Interestingly, the government have said that they're not going to they're not going to publish performance tables this year for primary schools, but they do intend to publish them for secondary schools, which is just really odd. Yeah, indeed. And of course, the other huge part of the accountability system, which we didn't get time to explore in detail, but we know it's always looming in the background is Ofsted. And we know yep. that when it comes to potentially you know, uh, distorting the data that even good quality tests can produce, it's as much we found a case of what do Ofsted inspectors get to see as in rather than what do you get to see in a national say newspaper league table so we you know we deliberately framed our report as looking at primary assessment and accountability because it frustrates us and I'm sure it frustrates both of you when someone starts talking about assessment and we are, is it a good assessment is it a bad assessment when actually it's only when you put the two bits of the system together you start to see that sometimes, and this is a very common theme in our report, which people, I'm sure readers will pick up straight away. Sometimes you can have a test, which is not really a bad test in itself, yeah, but sure. it gets spectacularly distorted. Yeah. Uh, the phonics check being a perfect example, which we yeah. might get onto, but the actual results get so badly distorted that the test, I just don't know what it's measuring anymore. And that's what the evidence seems to show time and time again. Yeah. I, I, I always think with that graph, which obviously you refer to in, in, in your report, you've got that that in there, um, the famous graph uh, of the the uh, like no nobody, nobody getting uh, zero to 30. Uh, well, hardly anyone getting zero to 30, no one getting 31 where it dips down and then bang up it goes at 32. Um, yeah, is is absolutely uh, bonkers. And, and I, I always think what would that graph look like if no one collected the data? which is a bit like, you know, the tree falls in the wood forest and no one hears it, you know, doesn't make a noise. But I, I, we don't know. But uh, it, it, I don't think it would look like that. Mm. And, and this is that this be using using data for multiple purposes. And we try and do too much, I think, with the data that we collect. I think there's also the interesting thing, the fact that uh, that clearly some of the accountability um, of the assessment system is being is being used um to nudge things so the, the phonics screen yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. there to nudge and uh to a large extent the, the, um, the multiplication check in year four is a similar kind of thing which is no bad thing uh in the first instance i think but but after a while it becomes somewhat redundant but again it's it's fascinating to see but so you've obviously really looked at the impact of these um these assessments uh, in terms of what it's actually happening within the the, the the primary sector, particularly the effect that it, I said that it has on teachers and schools, and, and some of the things which you've found um, that that people are doing there, Tom. Uh, again, what are your observations there as to as to um, as to the the effects of the current system? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, in some respects, what we found when we looked at the evidence was not necessarily new in terms of the impact that, that SATs can have on teachers and schools, but it, that doesn't make it any less dramatic. I mean, we found numerous um, committees and reports going back 10, 20 years mm. that find that things like teaching to the test 
uh, narrowing of the curriculum. These are very, very widespread issues. Now, to be absolutely clear, our report, and, and I certainly hope the government would not blame teachers and head teachers for this situation, because ultimately, when you put a high stakes and potentially quite a punitive accountability system in place, then it is only, you know, it, I think it's only rational for teachers and head teachers to say, well, we should probably focus a bit more on that and a bit less on that. But the problem is that when you add up those small effects over a whole system, mm-hmm. is that you get things like art, music, sport, getting squeezed very, very badly. And we just found that time and time again. So, you know, there's Ofsted have found the same thing again in some of the reports they published over the past 10 years or so, even going back to 2010. We had the coalition government saying, yeah, we're very worried about excessive test preparation. Some kids are spending, you know, weeks, if not months in advance of these different, particularly SATs, you know, preparing yeah. uh, the kids with test questions. And you think, well, are we just not learning? You know? So, again, that goes back to the point around even when the child does sit that SATs test, are we getting good quality data at the end of it? Well, I think our argument would be, well, if you just spend, you know, for any test of a child of any age, if you spend weeks and months preparing for it at the expense of other parts of your education, that doesn't strike us as a great outcome on the basis that I think we most people would agree that kids should have a very broad and balanced curriculum at primary and, and experience a lot of you know different subjects in, in, and not really be pushed down that road so yeah we were pretty concerned it was a, such a consistent finding and again we just think that the accountability system is putting schools and their teachers in a very very difficult position yeah and yeah, it's fascinating to see um given so you've had that good look at the current situation and again it's a really clear report for anybody who's new to this and particularly you know i can imagine those um in central government and people who are actually maybe able to make some decisions they, they need to, to have that information so it's really useful to have that there um i was particularly fascinated by, by the recommendations which you've um, which yeah. you put forward so broadly they're in two groups so you've got some recommendations about assessment uh and then some recommendations about school improvement and accountability but your your recommendations for um for how we might consider um uh new approaches to assessment are interesting so can you talk us through some of your thoughts here for what what you think might we might be able to do sure i mean again it very much goes back to the problems that we identified in, in all of our reports edsk we try and make sure there's a very direct link between what we think the evidence has shown us about what's going wrong and then what solutions we put in place so we found that um the current tests in primary school we don't think they help schools improve teaching and learning uh, we don't think they produce very accurate data for, for parents or, or politicians or teachers on how well pupils are actually performing. And we think they're displacing an enormous workload burden uh, on the head teachers and, and really distorting the behavior of schools and stopping them from doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so to try and get around, I mean, to be fair, we said right at the beginning of our report, we are not going to be able to change the high stakes accountability system over the next few years. We are, we are we, you know, much as some people find it very frustrating, and we do too to some extent, we think that's going to stay in place. So the question is, given that the government is going to keep publishing some data on schools, given that they've got these tests that are now in place, can we move to a better system of assessment, which takes, which, you know, curtails some of the problems and curbs some of the problems you've got, but at the same time still produces data so we can see you know, from a taxpayer's perspective, what, what is happening inside schools. And that's where we found that one of the big changes we think can make a big difference was shifting away from you know, what we think are quite distorting and damaging effects of lots of one-off tests, lots of big one-off high-stakes tests throughout the seven years, as, mm. as Jamie described, and moving towards shorter online adaptive tests over the course of seven years, so that may, every couple of years or so, Every pupil would sit an online test probably around 30 minutes or so in reading and, and maths and spelling, punctuation and grammar 
And they just keep doing that all the way through the, the seven years. Yeah. It was very, very much based on what we see in, yeah. in some other countries, such as Wales and Australia and, and Denmark. And we think shorter online adaptive tests offer us a much better sense of where is a pupil up to and then tracking them as they go through primary school, potentially into secondary as well. But that's probably a conversation for another day, but certainly in those primary years. And then feeding that information back to schools so that they can then use that information to help them identify the gaps and help them improve teaching and learning. So that we're not just using school uh, tests to sort of hit schools over the head. We're actually giving feeding that information back into the system so that we're on a continuous sort of improvement loop. That was the goal, certainly. And we think online adaptive tests could be a really important part of that. I think that um, that they make they make the tests become far more accessible as well. I mean, one of the problems that a lot of schools have with that that, that standardised assessment is really common in primary schools. You know, the sort of the NFER, NFER style assessments. But a lot of primary schools use standardised tests uh, in you know in between years, so uh, they use like NFER style or Rising Star style tests. And then a mistake they'll make with children that are working below that might have special educational needs is they'll give them a test that's designed for a younger, earlier year group. And, and a far better solution is to use adaptive tests for those children because then they adapt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you will end up with those tests being, well, the lower stakes, um, quicker, uh, far less workload and more accessible as well. Yeah, it's really important that because, again, you know, a standard written test is very good at assessing um, those who are in, in the middle of a distribution, but not good at doing the tails, whereas an adaptive yeah. test is is, is specifically yes. designed so that you can get better assessment of the tails. Um, one thing which I have with this, Tom, is um, is because obviously adaptive tests, they rely on, on technology and, uh, and schools having uh, the ability to use um, uh, some computer of some kind. Um, again, we've had a lot of uh, technology in schools, but it, um, a lot of the kit that we've got in schools, certainly in the primary schools, which I work with a lot of the time, we've had it for some time, um, and we could really do with some additional cash there to uh, to, to improve that infrastructure. Have you got any thoughts? Is, is that Did that come up when you were looking at things as to, as to making sure that you've got the infrastructure to run ad adaptive tests? Absolutely. And, and it's interesting to look at the experience of Wales, who've just moved um, their system. Uh, they've moved away from pen and paper tests and introduced uh, online adaptive tests for years two to nine now. That system's already up and running, as it has been in countries like Denmark for about 10 years or so. And Australia is now uh, switching their uh, NAPLAN system uh, to online testing rather than pen and paper, too. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because obviously looking at the debate around GCSEs and A-levels, one of the things that technology gets a really big pushback on is, well, how are we going to do it? We can't test every single math GCSE student at exactly the same time around the country because you physically haven't got enough computers in schools to test someone. And what if the internet goes down that day? And what if someone has connectivity problems? And what if you haven't got enough devices? Those are genuinely important questions when it comes to things like high stakes exams that we have in secondary. But the reason we liked adaptive assessments, and it was actually a, a very deliberate recommendation on our part, was that kids would just sit them at just intervals throughout the year so it's, you know, even, even if you haven't got many devices in your schools, that's really yeah. not a problem because, yeah. uh, and also the fact that a test, just like, to be fair, you look at things like the, the multiplication check that's being brought in now, mm. controversial as it's undoubtedly been, it can just be done on a tablet with a kid sitting in a quiet area uh, just outside the classroom. And of course, the reception baseline has got an element of technology to it as well. And so we think we're starting to see some green shoots here. But the truth is, if you did, if you tried to get every primary school child in the country, if you just said we're going to swap, swap SATs out from pen and paper to computer, that wouldn't actually achieve very much because every single child in the country would then have to be sitting the same test at the same time on, yeah. on devices. That's a problem. 
not impossible, but it's certainly a problem now. Mm. Our plan was very deliberately to try and make these tests go into the background of what schools do. So there's a few kids being tested maybe every week or maybe every couple of weeks. And that just needs a laptop or a tablet, doesn't even need a desktop computer. They log into a system and they can do it that way. So you're absolutely right to say technology is a potential barrier. We hope that the way that we described how they should be used is a way to make it accessible to all schools. And actually, with just a few devices, a few portable devices, they can test everybody without any difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to, like, uh, corral children, like, if you you, you keep them isolated somewhere. Yeah, exactly. At the moment, you know, you can get them to do it over time. Um, I also um, I, I really liked that if you could ex- uh, explain it a bit more about the the sampling element. Yes, yeah, so standards. Yeah, very much. This is something that um, uh, again we don't pretend we're the first people to say this at all. This was something that came up in the B review at the early years of the coalition government. It came up in select committee reports back under the last Labour government. It's just this idea, as uh, as we mentioned at the very beginning, that if you use any test for too many purposes. The chances of getting good quality data for all of those purposes is inevitably going to reduce. And so the whole idea of tracking how well the national system is doing and separating that out from how well pupils are doing, we thought was a really is a potentially a really powerful way of using online testing. So our idea was, and this is something, again, broadly similar to what some other countries have been doing for a long time now, is to drop a set of identical questions into the online test that pupils of different ages doing every single year. So literally the same question. Now, of course, the kids won't know this. The kids will just be doing another question on their screen. It will mean nothing to the kids at all. But you just test exactly the same questions every single year, a sample of pupils who just get the test randomly included. And from that, you can then build a national picture of exactly whether literacy and numeracy and spelling standards are genuinely improving or getting worse. Obviously, Ofqual is already looking at this with things like the national reference test for secondaries. But we think within the testing framework we'd like to see in primaries, without having to do anything separate from that, you could just run a really good national standard testing system or sampling system, as you rightly say, within the same model. And we think that would be a great opportunity to get ministers, um, you know, not just to get ministers good data, but also to just give every politician and every parent in the country a genuine sense of whether things are actually getting better or not. Whereas now, with all the distortions that we've got in the current system, if a test result improves, things like the phonics check, maybe the new multiplication check or SATs or whatever it might be, if that improves, I don't think we can be that confident that means that national standards have actually improved. Whereas if you do it separately with a separate set of questions, we think you might find out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So, and so that's again thinking about um, assessment. And but you've also made recommendations about um, about school improvement and accountability. And you've looked at um, report, you know, reporting arrangements and, and uh, some interesting changes to the phonics check. Um, so, yeah. So, what are your thoughts there in terms of uh, um, how we actually um, support the accountability framework? Uh, yep. So we we again bearing in mind that we think the high stakes accountability system is going to be here at least for the foreseeable future. We still we're going to be measuring attainment and progress for pupils in primary schools, but because the pupils are going to be sitting the tests, these new online short online adaptive tests several times, probably maybe three times over the course of their primary school years, we can get a very good sense of their attainment at any moment in time. But we can also really accurately track their progress in a way that we don't think the new reception baseline is going to allow us to do. Particularly, we think the problems that reception baseline might have as pupils move between schools and that some schools are going to have a baseline, some schools are not going to have a baseline, you know, and the fact there's not really going to be a level playing field for different types of schools. If we just have 
pupils being tested a few times. It doesn't matter if they move schools because we've already got a baseline for them from where they were maybe a couple of years ago. So if they switch schools, it doesn't matter. We can still follow them all the way through. So we think attainment and progress will be, will be much better able to see how things are genuinely improving or not for each individual pupil, which we think is a big advantage of, the, of, the, of our proposed system. I was going to ask you, if you are you still envisaging uh, a kind of a value-added style uh, measure then of progress but it would be a later point wouldn't it so you we're not proposing you're not proposing a reception baseline and I, I assume it'd be like probably like year one or year two would be the first assessment and you uh, yeah so uh, yeah very much so so we're, we're thinking just we don't need the reception baseline anymore whenever kids sit their first test we can then use that as a baseline for their next test but then when they've had a second test we can use a second test as a baseline their third sitting and so right. we can just follow the pupils as they go through and get a really good sense of compare like you say you're absolutely right say it's compared to other pupils around the country so it would essentially be a, a value-added score okay. relative to other pupils who started at that same point when they last sat the test how much progress has that people made over time and so rather than doing the sort of waiting the, the year you know, reception year up to year six sats we think yeah. we're going to be a much more fine-tuned judgment on how well it's really going. So solves the middle school problem. I know that's only a couple hundred schools or whatever, but the yeah. and and the uh, would would you then envisage that for, for schools like junior schools and middle schools, which you've 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 um, it's kind of referred to, you know, these other types of schools, um, would, would you envisage those schools having a, a, a measure on entry then? We would just use the kids' most recent test results. Most recent. As, okay. Yeah, so because they're doing it every couple of years, that means that even if a pupil does move schools at some point, the data is never going to be that old. It's going to be obviously no. you know, delayed by a few months. But we think compared to a reception test, where, of course, a kid could move schools several years later on, yeah, yeah. Um, then we just think this is a better way. Of, we, of course, you know, this problem is not pupil mobility is not a new problem. You know, the current no. system has a bit of a struggle with it as well. So we're not Absolutely. saying this is brand new, but by just doing short regular online tests that we can just hopefully just take away this problem from the system so that when we say how much progress does a pupil make in that school even if it's only got those kids for say three years we can still get a pretty good sense of what's happening not perfect admittedly but an improvement we hope on the current system in terms of improving teaching and learning we also uh, go back to Richard's question around sort of what gets produced at the end of this of this process each year we think it's absolutely right to give schools a profile of their different year groups in terms of how well the kids have done in their most recent tests because at the moment one of the, the, the biggest criticisms we had of the current system is that because these are all just very di you know, disparate one-off tests sort of to an external observer probably quite random intervals scattered over seven years of education it doesn't really give schools any good feedback in terms of what they can do better or where the gaps are. And so we think giving an, a, a year group profile back to schools every single year to say, this is, the, this is what we found out so far from these tests, and then giving it to schools and, uh, and head teachers to say, use this information as best you can to improve things. We think, again, that's an enormous benefit of this new system because we're going to be just giving kids a test every couple of years, just a short test every couple of years it would then be very, very helpful for schools and head teachers. So that really, there's no, I mean, get, giving them back their SAT results and saying, well, you know, try and get better next year. I just, I just don't think that's a, that's a good yeah. sort of feedback loop at no. all for schools, uh, not, you know, not you know, particularly with the narrowing of the curriculum and teaching to the test in a way that might distort the data anyway. So, yeah, we, we're hoping that's a really positive you know, move, uh, benefit from moving towards this new style of system that we'd be able to help schools improve as much as, you know, we are improving the way we track pupils as well. 
I think the, the interesting thing is that we've, we've had the system which we've got at the moment in terms of you know, the key stage, the end of key stages assessments. And they, they largely have, you know, they've had the effect that, that, that they were intended to have, which is to, is to drive standards in primary schools in certain ways. And I think that they've, you know, they have made a difference. And, and to, to some extent, you look at them and think, OK, they've, they've, they've become problematic in lots of ways, but they've, they, they, they made changes and they, they, they were there was something where, which had an impact in, in across the school system. But again, I think that we're now so far down the line that they're, they're now it's now become a distortion and they're not really telling us anything. Nobody's really using them and they're not very informative. Whereas I think the, the thing which I like about your report is um, there's some really yeah, some excellent thoughts. In it. And even if you don't agree with everything in it, there's a lot of things that make you think, OK, well, we should consider what we're doing now and how we might move forward. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, to see um, how people do react to it and, and what gets picked up to say, actually, let's let's think about what we're doing and uh, and make some changes that would be positive across the board, both for assessment and, uh, and how we do assessment, but also to think about how we then um, how that informs accountability. So I'm really pleased to be able to have that discussion. I encourage everybody to, to uh, have a look through the report. It's a, it's a meaty thing, it's a, but it's a really good read. Um, there is a summary as well, but, uh, but have a good look through it. It's, it's, it's a really useful report. And we'd love to hear from anybody, um, from listeners, um, to let, let you know what you think, you know, ideas um, and what, what your response to it is. It's been really useful. So, Tom, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Very much appreciated. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, hopefully we'll see you again soon, but we'll say goodbye for now. So there you have it. The Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year and is available on all good podcast outlets. If you like what we're doing, please do recommend us to others. And if you have any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording or to contact us on Twitter, either at databusting or at jpembroke. If you'd like us to put on a data busting day near you, please do get in touch and we'll see what we can do. And don't forget to order your copy of Data Proof Your School when it's published in the new year. Until next time, we hope our discussions here have helped you decide what to do now. Best of luck and keep data busting.